When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the forum, the show where we learn more about Husker Nation one fan at a time by asking the same four questions. Miro's Honky, and tonight we're joined by DJ K Dub Omaha from the Wired Access Podcast, proud member of the Herdat Sports family. He's a former high school coach, lawn and snow comp uh, owner, a company owner, and a DJ. He's also a huge Husker fan. You can find him on Twitter at DJ K Dub Omaha. Welcome to the forum, DJ. Hey, Honky, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. This is this is uh, going to be a fun one here. Uh, we have a mutual buddy that we were talking about, Bob, and uh, and uh, he was reaching out to me a, a month or two ago, said you guys were talking. I was like, we got to get you on here. You're, you're a herd at guy with us and uh, and do a little chat. And that's what I love about it. You know, the, the feeling of this is let's just let's just have fun with it. I love your four questions. And I have to tell everybody. You know, I've only listened to a couple episodes. Obviously, I, I learned about you about the same time. We, we were in good communication. But your episode last week, Honky, mm. if if people missed out, man, they missed out on why we love to do what we do. It was such a surreal moment to listen to your dad. And I appreciate that sharing with us because, dude, that like that took it to another level of why I love the fact that we are on a podcast where we get to just be honest about feelings. You get to be honest about the people that you talk to and your dad's answers really hit home to me. So I appreciate that. Uh, listening last week, if you missed out, go check it out. Please trust me on that one. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. That was, you know, it, it, as we get to the questions, you know, there's so many similarities between me as a fan, and anyone else, it, it's family. It's it, so many of the answers are, it's my grandparents, it's my parents. It's something along those lines or why we're the fans that we are today. And, for me, it's no different. And dad was, dad was a, a, a key piece of that. And so that was literally one of the last conversations I had with him and, and feel fortunate enough to be able to get that on the, on the tape, I guess. So, well, well, because it's like, you know, our families are so supportive, but they're also not like our customer or, and I'm not saying that mm. I'm your customer, but you know what I mean? Like we love them to hear what we do, but it doesn't mean that we want to drop them to where they have to have that pressure of the answers, you know, even though, you know, dad had the answers and you knew they were good, but you're like, is that the pressure he likes? I know my dad, he's a computer guy. That's the last thing he wants to do is be seen or be, you know, heard, you know, he just wants to sit back behind the computer type away, maybe on a few chats or something. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's get to a chat, but before we do, I just want to go over one of our upcoming shows and then some of our promos. Uh, we have the next uh, fan form already scheduled for Monday night, August 14th at 8 p.m. We have John Spurgfin, who is the Keith County Fair Combine Demolition Derby announcer and a stand-up comedian and a Husker fan. He reached out to me 
about a month ago. He sounds like a really fun guy. I mean, the the, the email he sent us. Uh, the picture was, alone, was right? The picture yeah, alone it, has got you sold. It was hilarious, and I was like, "All right, all right, we're good." I was I was trying to wind down these fan forums right before the season started, and I was like, "I have to throw John into here. That I think he's going to be a fun one to have on." So that's going to be Monday night, uh, Alumni Hall, two Lincoln locations downtown, eleven twenty P Street and South Point Pavilions behind Barnes and Noble. Uh, Pipeline Jerky. Go to pipeline-jerky.com. Use Redcast at the uh, checkout. Gets you ten percent off, and all that money goes to the offensive line. Let's get that pipeline rebuilt. And also, let's see if we can get the pipeline sold in the stadium. I know that was something that was floating around Twitter uh, this week. A question, can they get it sold in the stadium? I think that would be a great Ooh. idea. Uh, here's the Redcast store. You can use the QR code. We also have the link in our descriptions on social media. Smack and smooch, quality apparel, custom-made orders. My shirt, all the, the sweatshirts, the hats. Not this hat, unfortunately, but the, the other hats uh, all have come from uh, Smack and Smooch. So. All right, well, let's get to the form. And what is the form? It's the same four questions that we ask everyone. Uh, why are you a Husker fan? What is your f- favorite Husker fan memory? Who are your all-time favorite Huskers? And, and how do you think the Huskers will do next year? So, DJ, K-Dub, Omaha, let's start with number one. Why are you a Husker fan? Well, you know, I was an Air Force brat growing up. Um, so when I first remember any football, it was – uh, over in the Netherlands. And when you're over in the Netherlands, it's not really a sport like it is here in the United States. You don't get all the information. But there was one key note that was happening back here in Omaha, and it was my grandma would save every Saturday paper for my dad. Every Saturday. My dad, has been in, he was in the service for 20 years, and she saved him while we were away, anytime that he was away. So he took out clippings and those are things that he would show us, you know, hey, look at this mm-hmm. game results. And it, it would be you just kind of take that Saturday paper that everybody misses reading and looking at. And it's got a picture and, he, and he'd do the same thing. Stats, uh, picture, the story, and then one other game that was like of evidence during that week that was also advertised. So it just took that's kind of all that I really had when I started to grow up. And uh, mm-hmm. like you said, it came from dad. It came from that. That's that's what I knew, and that's what was home, um, even when we were far away. You know, that's a, that's really cool to hear. I haven't heard uh, someone growing up outside of the country yet, and, and being in that kind of situation. I've I have been in contact with a current uh, member of the army, and he's out in Germany. And we were talking about trying to set up a fan form. It would have to be during the off season sometime, and like it might be something at like three in the morning, my time, if it works for him. And, but he'd be on base and we'd have like all, you know, his, his whole battalion and everything like behind him. It'd be, it'd be amazing if we could get it set up the way that uh, we've been talking about. But I, I think that's, wow. What a, what a story of how to grow up being a fan, you know, not being able to, to be 12 hours or whatever it is on the opposite yeah. side. You know, did you watch any games from the you Netherlands? Know, I remember we would catch, more of the highlights than the games just because the Mm -hmm. time was off and just the availability over there. Mm -hmm. So back when I was living over there and and this was probably the hardest thing to travel from all the way from the Netherlands down to New Mexico, where we went to next was we had those big satellites, the big, huge tube satellite. (laughs) I mean, where you're rolling it to get it onto the U-Haul and it's like taking up one angle of the U-Haul. So that was our connection and back then, it was most definitely not like our little uh, direct TV that you can get now and you get all the channels. I mean, that that satellite might have gave you 10 to 12 channels. I mean, there was no guarantee what you were getting. So it was more mm-hmm. of the highlights and trying to catch that stuff um, that I remember when I was young. Mm-hmm. 
you know, one of the links in our description on our, our social media is uh, to our story. And we have it out there. It's uh, huskerstories.com, I think, is the, the link that uh, Chaz and SoCal created. And anyways, the our story starts by having Dave and producer Skip being in China at a bar at like three in the morning watching. It was a Black Friday and they're watching the Iowa game. And that's where they said, hey, you know, we should go do a, a podcast and, you know. And Dave's, Dave's like, yeah, well, we don't know how to put one together. And producer Skip said, oh, I can do it. You know, I can do all the work. And we were talking about this before we went live. The producing, a lot of times, that's the work. That's the effort. And, and once we had somebody that said they could do it, we're like, hey, we're lazy. We'll, yeah, we'll just go yeah. in front of a mic and talk if someone else will take care of it. So Yeah, let, let, let me be the, the entertainment. I'll make sure that people will tune in. I'll do, I'll do all the posting. I'll do mm-hmm. anything. I'll do the hashtags. I'll research all that. You just make sure it's produced. I love it. <laughs> Um, why was your dad a Husker fan? Did he grow up in Nebraska then? He did. He grew up from Omaha, uh, near the Omaha North area. Um, mm-hmm. and that was just who he grew up watching it and enjoying from grandpa and stuff like that. And, and it's kind of sad because like, um, COVID year, I was supposed to, um, take my grandpa for probably his last game. Um, mm-hmm. but he got sick that week and it was for the Iowa game. Well, I've never asked my mom to go because we would go all the time, but I never asked my mom. She just wasn't a lot of walking. And I go, have you ever been? And she's like, no. I said, do you want this ticket? And the cool thing is, is the tickets that I had, I was able to switch for um, where they sat right in front of the boneyard. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> it was my mom's first game. It was kind of, it was, uh, it was the one we lost uh, by the wonderful kiss off kick. Um, but <laughs> yeah. it was one of those where like, just knowing that, I know my grandpa didn't get that last game, but my mom got her first and only live game. And I would have never had that opportunity or known. Like you, you think, you know, your parents and you think, you know what they've done or haven't done. But when you find that out that man, she has never been, but she's one of those at the TV throwing things, (laughs) dang it, tackle him, tackle him, you know? And you just, those are just things you remember, man. They're, they're your parents, uh, TV watching, I think back then is probably a lot better than it is. Like my kids are lucky if they even see me catching TV because I'm so busy. Like there's other mm-hmm. stuff we're doing, you know, but back then that's all you had was TV, radio, or you didn't have a lot of the computer stuff like we do now, you know, to pull your attention away. So you remember mm-hmm. those moments, your parents watching soap operas or watching, you know, this or that, that you knew was their most important, you know, things that they would watch. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, technology you can watch it on the go you can watch it on your phone you don't even have to sit in front of anybody you go watch it in your room so it's just cool seeing the technology that way but you don't you certainly miss those moments that you remember of your parents and Mm -hmm. watching games and watching those moments when the big game happened you know you know it's crazy that way like the technology i don't know if it's made it better or worse in some ways i used to love it that as a kid or you know when i was 15, whatever, I'd open up a paper and I'd read an article here or there, but you didn't know every single thing about the team. And now today, you know, here we are, we're three weeks away from kickoff. And it's like, I mean, I'm almost, it's, it, there's almost been too much information out there. Every single practice gets broken down. We have video of every single, you know, scrimmage, every, every press conference, there's podcast after podcast. And I'm not saying anything wrong because look, we're, we're doing the, we're, we're part of it. Right. But it's like, 
there's so much overload sometimes of like this information. And in, in, in a way I, I romanticize going back to that day of just like, wow, you, you turned on the TV for the first time of the year, the first game. And you're like, Oh, who, who's even on the team? I don't even know the roster that well. You know, it's not like that anymore. Now everything is so detailed and, and there's so much information out there. And, and see, and ever since I stopped coaching football, I, I, I'm going to be honest, man. I, I've been able to break away from being that type of fan where I was wanting that information as much. Mm-hmm. Um, just because like, even when things would go wrong, like I'm looking at the game a little different than possibly someone else. Cause I was a defensive back coach. So I'm looking at what the defense is doing. Why did that happen? You know, more of that route than it is who's injured, who's what. And I don't know, man, it's, it's like, and where I coached football was a losing atmosphere. Like they, we got some wins, but they weren't. I mean, it's almost it's OPS. They they're not big in winning right now, and and so then you kind of look at okay, well, we're trying to finish the season the best we can with these kids. Well, that's kind of what I took to the Nebraska mentality once that losing started, and and even when you lose your own personal faith in someone you thought was going to be the coach that was going to be the savior and the guy that should have took everything <laughs> like with full two hands and, and win something. And then that takes you for the the ride that we took, you know, and you're like, okay, well now it's hard to get to where I'm overseeing everything. And, and I want to know all the stuff, but I do, I mean, I'm a, I'm a rule Kool-Aid drinker. I'm having fun with it. I mean, don't give it. I mean, I went to one of his fullback camps, man. And, and though, if they run practice that way, easy cakes, man, that them kids were running drills after drills after drills. And it wasn't one where you felt like your kid was a number because coaches would pull a kid off to the side. If there was something they were trying, like just seeing that interaction at a kid level, if the, if the players buy in, you, you got it. You got me sold. I mean, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that that's, that's the way I saw it as a coach, but also as a father, like to go, I'm seeing something different, but until it's on the field. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can, I see and hear the people already. Oh, I've heard it before. I, I get it, but there is something different out there. And, and at least I, I'm willing to give, I'm more than willing to give a uh, rule every opportunity to, to, to have what he's doing succeed. And I think, I think, well, I like what I'm hearing and like what I'm seeing. Uh, let's get to question number two here. And what is your favorite Husker fan memory? Uh, my favorite would have to be the 93 game versus uh, Florida State. I tell it all mm-hmm. the time. Um, and I, I've been blessed um, when I was on a radio show. I also got to interview Trev Alberts twice. So this really hits, you know, like mm-hmm. um, it was just a matter of him in that game versus Florida state. And like, I remember that was like my first cry as a Husker fan as well as a young kid. Like I'm like, this dude is out here with his arm in a, almost like a sling, just trying to get the game and, and you lose like by a field goal in that, in that mm-hmm. whack call. But anyways, it's just, it's just like, that was like the turn for me. That was like when, when I was fully bought in and, and what I first remember, like, all right, this is our team. And then you see like, you see that when the change happens that next year, you're like, okay, that to me feels Nebraska. That feels like, like home. You know what I'm saying? Like you feel like it, the tough, the tough, you know, cornfield workers and that like just the Nebraska style, like to live here. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't be no punk that lives here because you got to deal with all types of weather. You got to deal with snow that could be as, t- you know, uh, two feet of snow one day. 
You know, I mean, I know we haven't seen it much lately. Knock on wood. I don't know. Whatever everybody wants to do. But there's been the days where the snow is a lot and not everybody can live amongst that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that was my my favorite memory as well was that that game, uh, the 94 Orange Bowl with Florida State, 17 and a half point underdog. Uh, it's, it was ended up being our seventh straight bowl loss at the time. And Osborne was getting all kinds of heat at that time. Now that game didn't give the heat to him because we played him so well. We weren't supposed to. And, and, uh, and it was, to me, it was one of those moments, like I walked away from it so proud, even in a loss. And despite the terrible calls, I mean, the, the phantom clip on the Corey Dixon, and then of course the William Floyd touchdown, but even despite all that, they still took a lot of accountability too. It was like, well, we can't let them get down the field at the end of the game and and have a late hit that gives them 15 more yards. And we can't do those things. And so we're going to finish. We're going to finish our business, do finish business all off season. We're going to have a minute 16. I think it was uh, that's going to be on the the clock and we're going to work out in the stadium with that on the clock. And, and uh, we're going to finish next year. And they, to really use that as kind of the impetus of what was going to come the next four seasons. Uh, It was just unbelievable. I mean, that was, and, and, you know, this is an appropriate timing of us talking about this, the day-by-day movie that's coming out, uh, part two. Yeah. That's going to be in Omaha and, and Lincoln Theaters here in the next week. I mean, anyone, if you haven't watched the first one, that was a great, the day-by-day first part was awesome. But uh, this one's now going to really start to focus, I think, on 95 forwards. Everything in the first show was up to about the 94 season. So, um, I mean, it just, you I felt at the end of that game, I was like, okay, we've taken the next step. We're ready now. And now we have all these guys coming back and, and I think they get, they're going to get confidence out of this loss. I think you can apply some of that stuff to where we're at right now. The guys just need confidence to finish games. I mean, we, we had three games last year where we had double digit win leads in the second half and lost them all. Hell, uh, Wisconsin, we were ahead by double digits in the thir- fourth quarter and we couldn't just couldn't finish games off. There's a mentality there. You got to finish. And, and, and for me, though, like like what I take out of last year is just think of what they did with an interim coach and yep. that defense got better week after week. And like so like that's when and even with under frost, that's when things get hard for me, because there was more positives if you really wanted to analyze a game, then there was negatives to take away from it. Yes, it was one score and yes, that gets annoying. And, but that's on coaching. Like we knew that was on coaching and the way that they were finishing the games. Mm -hmm. But if you look at players results, I mean, divine Zigbo, when you're seeing him, how much production that, that guy got in that last year. And now look at him, he's getting another chance in the NFL this year. And, and just seeing like, how it really built some of these players up. And it's funny because you said a statement from uh, from that game that, that really stuck with me. And, and if I look back on some of my success and some of the things that I've done is, is being willing to accept what you've done wrong and, and, and be able to say, okay, you found it once, but you're not going to find that again. And, and you're willing to accept that over no matter what, the worst things could happen to you, whether it's a a car breaks down or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like I've never taken that and gone, gosh, I can't learn from it. What can I learn from it? Oh, I would try to go so fast and I popped a tire. You know what I'm saying? Like thinking a little more how you can fix things instead of, Oh, everything's against me and everybody wants me to Mm. do negative, you know? And and when you brought that up, it just, it kind of just tells what I do right now. You know, I could have, easily not ever came back to this after losing a radio show 
but now look at what we're doing with her at sports. I mean, we're grateful, you know, we're, we're moving, moving those chains, moving those chains. <clears throat> well, let's talk about some, maybe some of the best players of all time that have moved the chains. Who are some of your all time favorite Huskers? Um, so I actually got to just interview one was Abdul Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved his, um, his, just his grit, man. He was only 5'10", and he and he's out there knocking fools on the ground. Um, I also like uh, Keo Craver. I got to interview him one time. Trev Alberts, obviously. Um, and then uh, another one for me would be um, uh, Baron Miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baron, Baron Miles was a dog. Like, you, like, I know that the defense was their thing, but, I mean, when a punt happened, and Baron Miles was on that line. There was a high chance it was getting blocked, and you love to – that's that's what you – I mean, he would leave it all out there. Number 14 would leave it all out there every time. So it's it's players like that that really, really hit home for me. Um, if I go into the newer age and, and, and the new ones, Divine is a big one for me. Corey Ross, you know, some of those – um, you know, Alexander was Dan Alexander was great to see do what he did, you know, mm-hmm. um, and even go to the next level. Um, you, you know, and for me, Eric Crouch was in high school. We played him in the playoffs at Omaha South. Of course, we lost. It was him and Jed Davies. So to see him go as far as he did um just proves that people from Omaha can make it outside of Omaha and mm. and succeed at whatever if they push themselves hard enough and and obviously we knew he had to push himself above and beyond so um just seeing some of those people Brandon Kenny was a good one of the one of the wide receivers I love watching mm-hmm. um and interviewing so like for me it's those surreal moments when you just get to be like you find your way not to be the fandom kid and you find a way that, man, this is just a dude like me, but I'm getting to share his story and share what they do. So I really like that stuff about them. Mm-hmm. No, I love some of the names <laughs> you're out there. They're not just the, not just the, the, the big, you know, award winner and Dominic and Sue. I mean, there's, those are great players too, but you know, Brandon Kinney, I think of that Oklahoma state game on the road where he caught, you know, multiple touchdowns, a couple hundred yards, I think it was, and 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 wills us to win that game. I mean, that was huge. Um, Muhammad, when you had him on last week, the thing about Muhammad, the thing about Brent, uh, about uh, Baron Miles that I kind of tie together is that there's an unselfishness with, with those players. Uh, Miles was going to find his way onto the field any way he could, and what he did on, on field goal block, what he did on punt block to affect every play. When you think of Muhammad, who could have gone somewhere else, yeah, and a lot more catches than he's going to get in Nebraska. In fact, he's here as part of an itty bitty committee blocking and blocking as hard as anybody. Right. Um, you know, that's got to be tough. But then but he was rewarded at times with some big catches and big games and and uh, and and left here a champion. So did Miles. So I, I, I think that's awesome. I, those guys were uh, those are some of the best players. I, I had so much fun watching them. And of course, fullback. I mean, fullback. You. I mean, I miss that. Like the next person. Don't get me wrong. I. I really do. Um, and then we had some great tight ends like Matt Heron. I mean, that dude mm-hmm. would just go down and catch anything you give him until they they took out his knee. You know, and you're like, mm-hmm. man, like that seems to be the why when when people say Nebraska can never get to tight end, you is because they've had more injuries at their tight end. 
than like Iowa has. Obviously, Iowa's putting them in the in the in the next level, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nebraska has put a couple, but they just it's like they can't get out of their injury prone ways. I don't I don't know where it's happening, but it seems like every time we get a, a tight end that we love and we want to watch, they get the less fortunate of side of that stick, you know, and they, and you mm-hmm. lose them for a while. Well, and and scheme, and scheme can help with this too. I think you know Iowa ran a a pretty friendly tight end scheme there. I think we've kind of been a Jekyll and Hyde offense the last five years, where we would we'd go and bring in tight ends, but then we'd be lining up in very non tight end sets. I mean, you get I think of the no touchdown. identity, yeah, no, no identity. identity. I think of the touchdown pass that they threw to Austin Allen against Michigan two years ago, which was an illegal formation, and he's lined up in the backfield, and he's it's just not it's not a, a true tight end. We were flexing guys out all over the place. Now there's going to be some of that still moving forward. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know that that can be that can be the base of what you do. You know, I coached for 15 years as well. And like when we started, you know, on day one, you have a base. You have a base of what you're going to run. This is our offense. This is our base. Let's get in our base set. Let's and get the five plays, the first five yep. plays. If you can't run the first five five plays and get positive, we're doing the first five plays again. Yeah. If you can't line up right in the base, why, why am I going to throw more at you? Now, by the end of the season, I'm going to have 15 formations. We had Coach Osborne on the show, and we asked him about his offense and what made it so successful. And he said – you know, a lot of people think we just powered every, over everybody and just ran option all the time. But he goes, we ran, you know, 15 sets. We th- we ran everything from five wide receivers all the way to full house, you know, full house uh, double back, you know, or double tight end full house backfields and everything in between. And he did. And it, and they'd run the same plays out of every single one of them. And they didn't have to learn new blocking schemes for every play. It's just, you know, you just keep running the same play, but you might do it with four wide receivers. You might do it with double tights. And when you have a guy like Abdul Muhammad blocking as a receiver, that's not a, a deficit to you, yeah. you know, and I, I, I just love it. I, I thought that they were so good back in the day of being able to put different, different formations out there, different personnel groups, but the toughness never stopped no matter who was out there. What the fullback wasn't out there in every single play, but when he was, you knew it too. But, oh, uh, yeah. you know, but if you're going to get blocked by cluster Johnson or Muhammad or Brandon Holbein or any of those dudes, those, those guys would gonna knock your head off just as much as a, you know, a big tight end would. I think the biggest thing also that you've got to notice is we haven't had like, and I, and I know that their names grew as they got older and obviously going off to the next level, but we haven't had a five set where all five have almost went on and beyond to the next level. Like that, like people don't understand that stuff just doesn't happen. And unless you are like in Alabama or Georgia where those linemen are getting drafted every year, but yeah. I mean, we're not getting all five of our guys drafted. So something has to change. I mean, if you want the pipeline to come back, you've got to get those type of dudes that are looking for that next level. And that's what they really, really want to get to. And of Mm -hmm. course, uh, you know, we're having unfortunate accidents like with Prohaska and stuff like that. Like that, that tells you there's some issue that's continuing if we can't keep some of them healthy that we need, you know, and and hopefully all that's a lot of that's changing. Um, I think the practices are moving fast enough, so they are. Well, and they definitely – they wanted to change the guys' bodies, and I think that can have some effect there. Uh, you know, uh, Ben Hart looks completely different than he did a year ago. You know, we brought in enough top 100, top 200 kind of linemen. Corcoran's been that way. prosca has been that way. Ben Hart's been that way. You know, those are big-time recruits. Uh, development's going to be a big deal. You know, can we get these guys develop? developed can you have some luck with the injury thing i don't know what prohaska's all is yet and how long it's going to be you know they're saying he could be back for the first game or the second game so 
let's keep our fingers crossed there. But that's right. But you got to, you know, next man up. Then if if they're down and and uh, and let's have an offense that uh, favors the the type of offensive line we have too. I mean, you can call games to put your offensive line in good positions, and you can call games to put them in bad positions too. Well, I think we're I think we're getting to this already. Let's just move on to it. Question four: How do you think the Huskers will do this year? I am going with a seven and five year. Um, mm-hmm. I think they go over that five hundred mark. Um, but then you look at some of the health things that are starting to come up. Who's going to be the wide receiver? Um, so some of that kind of makes it really iffy. Do you go back a, a game or two? Um, do we go to six hundred or five hundred? Do we go right below five hundred? Um, so I'm kind of anywhere from that five to seven, but I'm going to say seven to five would be my guess. Mm-hmm. I've uh, anyone that's been listening to us long enough here this offseason, <clears throat> my, my whole thing's been the race to six. Um, it, I'm not putting ceilings on the team. We can go twelve and zero for that for the Kool Aid person. We can go twelve and zero, uh, but the race to six is. I think it's important we get back to a bowl game. It takes us six weeks to do it. Awesome. We're six and oh, and you know, let's reevaluate and let's let's go twelve and oh. But if we're five and six and Iowa's coming to town, it's Black Friday, let's beat them for a second straight season. Let's get to that bowl game. And so anywhere in between, um, getting to that six is, is really important. I think that first game, obviously, three weeks from tonight, Minnesota, it seems to just change everything. If we win that game, I I, I was watching uh somebody I was I think it was JD Pickle on on a on Twitter here today was saying something about like, you know, we could be four and when Michigan comes to town. And absolutely. If we beat Michigan or Minnesota in, in week one, that's the, that's the thing you win that game. All of a sudden everyone else after that, Colorado, Northern Illinois and Louisiana tech. Ah, oh, yeah, we're going to, we're gonna just going to beat those guys. We'll be four and when, when Michigan gets here. Actually, that's when as a coach, your mind starts to go, if we beat Minnesota, Whoa, whoa, whoa! Get back down to we're one and zero. We're one and you're one and zero, and you better go to, to Colorado and win that game. <laughs> well, and when you say that, I mean, do you ever think? And I'm pretty sure you've had this question either to you or to someone else. If Nebraska played Akron to open up and won, would that have changed any of Scott Frost's trajectory? Pro- uh, Potentially. Potentially. I, I just think <clears throat> knowing what we know now, I, 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 this is totally, um, you know, armchair quarterback, you know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't saying this at the time, but, but knowing what we know now, I think structurally and fundamentally, we were just, we were flawed a bit there. I mean, the, the concept, I know this has been well played that, you know, we didn't even go after Joe Burrow. We didn't need to, right. You know, look at our quarterback situation. And really, when you look at it, look what that quarterback situation was going into that first week with Jebbia leaving, you were down to a true freshman. They didn't even with a uh, Vedral, they didn't even bother trying to go after a waiver form. So you don't even have him for depth. It was, they were literally going in the season with just Jebbia and, and, and Martinez and putting everything on their shoulders. That was going to catch you sooner or later, no matter what. And it just happened to catch us in week one after the game got, uh, you know, uh, lightninged out the week before. And I think that that just, we were going to, we were kind of bound to have, that was just that was poor planning. And what I like about what Rule did, and where I say that we're in a different position right now going into week one under Rule than versus under Frost was look at how he handled this whole entire offseason. He didn't run off the team the way that uh, that Dion did at, at Colorado. He let these guys get through the entire process, get through the 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 spring. In fact, we we still had a hundred and some dudes on scholarship by the end of the spring. But all the guys he did bring in, all the transfers, those are guys that were here in January. So if we're counting on somebody 
they've been here as long as a returning player. And so when I see Billy Kemp and Jeff Sims wearing single digits, those are guys that have been here at least since January. That's important because, you know, in, in the past couple of years, we've been sitting there relying on O'Shawn Mathis, who got here in June, re- relying <laughs> on Devin Drew, you know, that got here in August, the defensive tackle, you know. Yes, we've been please. Guys in, yeah, we've been bringing guys in last minute and going, yeah, yeah, here, you just play now. You haven't even been here for You're years. next. You're and next. You want to be a developmental program in today's age, um, which – Coach Rule says he wants to do, and and I know he wants to do, then you've got to get guys here early enough. I think this is what a developmental program today looks like is you want to recruit some high school kids, you want to develop guys over time, but if you're going to bring a transfer in, at least get them in in, in January and make them go through the whole the whole offseason process. Make him really feel if he's going to be a part of the team. And, and like you said, with the two that Jeff Sims and, and Billy Kemp, those are great examples of they're not only a part of it, they're willing to her- carry it on their back. And I yep. think I think the actions are going to be more than the words, and, and that's obviously what we want to see because um, the words obviously have been said plenty of time. We had the greatest practice. We had the greatest practice, <laughs> you know. Um, and it just – but the bad part is you think of a player like Adrian Martinez and you see what he did last year at K-State, and you're like, man, what could have been the potential – Yep. If someone just would have played to his strength. And and, put, and this goes back to putting people in the right situations too. When I was watching Kansas State last year, and again, this kind of goes back to, like you were saying earlier, when you're a former coach, you watch things maybe a little differently. Just a little. Uh, but when you're talking about your mom, like screaming, when my mom would watch a game, she just screams and, you know, she's not watching the X's and O's and what the line of scrimmage is. She's just screaming. I'm watching that King State last year, and I'm I see him at times getting under center and having three backs in the backfield. They kind of did a diamond set. We never, or we rarely ever saw that. Actually, we saw something similar when we played Northwestern two years ago and put up 56 points on them. And oh, Martinez, you mean it worked? Weird. Yeah, Martinez ran it eight times that game, but we we optioned the heck out of him, and it was like that's a great scheme. We don't need to. We don't need that. Could be everything moving forward. That's what we could do every single week, but and we just get good it. at that. But no, you know, the, the next game he's running 30 times and 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 it just kept going back and forth like that. And I thought Rule had a really good point this uh, this offseason. He answered a question from Herd at Sports, actually. I think it was uh, Chris Schmidt or uh, Hill Varsity Radio. He was asking him about quarterback run game. And when he said, you know, look, we want quarterbacks to be mobile. That's why we went out and got Jeff Sims and Purdy and Harburg. These guys can all run, but we probably don't want a quarterback running three yards up the middle, you know, for – getting those tough yards. That's probably not what we want out of the quarterback run game. We probably want the legs of the quarterback to be able to scramble and get you first downs or get you some touchdowns, scores in the, in the red zone. Those are things that – those are places where the quarterback's legs can can get involved. But, yeah, I mean, just running up the gut for two yards here or there, and we've seen that far too many times. They put Martinez in those situations. It's like, geez, man, you're just going to get the dude killed. See, and I also think, obviously, you know, like I'm also analyzing why people are – running a certain place. So when you do see the running back up the middle, running back up the middle, I'm watching to see that linebacker itch over. Mm-hmm. Now, just because that happens doesn't mean the blocking happens, but the plays are, some of the plays are there. It's not like it's, 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 it's blind that you could see it. You know, you can't see it, but it's more of did it get executed? And when you see the execution mm. off, you know it goes back to coaching and and mm. when the reps perfect before you move on. Mm. Give, give me it perfect before we move on. And I just don't think there was enough perfect or expectation 
and I and you know what I mean by perfect. We're not talking okay. about you know, but we're talking about yours. You can do it in your sleep without having to having to worry about oh, did I miss that block? And and that's what you see, you know. And the it just sucks because you're looking at football and you're looking at it could be successful. It could some things could have worked, especially how the defense picked up the game like the defense mm-hmm. overplaying like that to me is just so crazy how close you were and how hard the defense played for it. Like, that's why I, I always represent the black shirts, man. And that, that was my thing. I was DB's coach. So I, I love the defense, but the, the numbers talk, you know, and when you're on the field for so many minutes compared to the offense, the numbers are still going to talk. You know, when people are like, man, I can't believe they let that big run. Yeah. They just got done with the, eight minute drive that they held a held a team to three and they're back mm-hmm. on the field on one minute. I mean, what, what do you expect them to do? You think they're going to be, I mean, you know, hockey, there's just, there's no way to prepare for that type of uh, minutes that the defense had to put up. Yeah. The, the situational football, when we played Purdue last year and they ended up with over a hundred uh, plays against us, I can recall we were down, I think it was seven points. I think I think the number was seven that we were down with like maybe like four or five minutes left in the second quarter. And they punt and they kicked the ball to us. And it was like situationally, we just need to get a couple of first downs. If we get out of this half just getting two first downs and punting it and the game and the game's over and or the half is over, that's fine. But we don't need to right now we need to to calm down. They've had a, a ton of plays already on us. Let's get a little bit of offense going. And we immediately, I think, threw a pick. We had a three and out. And we ended up having like five possessions back and forth between like the last five minutes of that one half. And we scored again. So we did score a touchdown in the process and everything. But we ended up being down like 10 points instead of seven, going through five more series, getting the the, the defense back out there multiple times. And it's just there's situationally where it's like, guys, slow things down. Let's get under center. Let's make sure we know what the play is. That's the, the huddle part. Um, you know, uh, I was thinking about like one of the things I'm going to watch is, is uh, our tackles this year. You know, a year ago, I, I mentioned this during the season several times, you could you could get a pretty good prediction of what we're going to do based off of how our, our tackles lined up. If they're standing up, <clears throat> there was about an 80% chance that we were going to throw it. Yeah. They got in a three-point stance. There's a very good chance we were going to run it. And and defenses start to key on this. I mean, if, if, if podcast guy is seeing that, I'm pretty the, sure. The couch quarterbacks are getting it. We you know, know the it, real quarterbacks getting it. It was it was un, it was unreal that, you know, we'd see some of that. So, but defensively, I think your point too, the second that, you know, I don't want to crap on guys once they leave, but I mean, literally the week after Shenander was gone, Bush takes over. And I think it was that Tuesday night practice, the first pat, uh, padded practice of that week. Uh, Miles Farmer was the one that was asked, you know, what do you think about practicing? He's like, well, this is the first time we've been tackling in years. And so, you know, it's going to take a little while for, for this to look good. And you, and I think as fans, we all just sat there and go, oh, I, I, I thought we were tackling. I guess I just made that assumption for all the news and all the podcasts and all the all the information we get. We never heard that they weren't tackling ever in practice for four years. I went, to, I went to some of the practices for Cripe's sakes during like coaches clinics. I went to the the first, you know was going to coaches clinics from Solich's year all the way up to the second year of Frost, and and uh, you, I, you start to make some assumptions that, that that those things were going on. It's like, oh my gosh. So during we those, in- if I can ask, because I could say I honestly never went to any. Um, was it was it more of a practice where you felt like it could have been for show? 
hey, this is an open practice. Let's turn it up a little bit. But then obviously from what Miles Farmer is saying, that maybe the real practices were different. I mean, I so, can kind of see that. So what we would do is we went to, to one practice in spring every single year is the coaches clinic weekend. And, um, and I can make comparisons from one coaching staff to the next, how they would do things. Um, as an example, like Callahan as a great example, Callahan practice was nothing got fixed on the field. You just, you keep moving on, keep moving on. We, we're on, we're going to stay on schedule. We're going to stay on schedule. Keep moving on. We'll fix it in, in, uh, in film tomorrow. Gotcha. So if you, if you screwed up, Hey, we got it on film. Good. We'll fix it then. Bo's practices were like, so right away, if you went from Callahan to Bo, you go to a Bo practice and a play got done. And there were seven coaches coming on the field, all screaming in different directions at somebody. And I'm sitting there like, I'm confused watching this. I'm like, I hope these guys are catching on to whatever they need to learn. Cause they, there's a, there's a mass chaos. Right. But uh, we would watch the one thing that was pretty consistent all the way through Riley era was we were watching scrimmages. When I went to the, the two that were frost ones. So it was 2018, 2019, and then the by the next year it was COVID and they they didn't have them for the next few years. But um, you know, Frost we didn't watch scrimmage. Frost it was it was it felt like it was you're just kind of watching a different practice. And so I'm not watching the scrimmage one. It, it didn't have as much of the full contact, but you're watching a lot of drills, a lot of that stuff. And it's like, well, that's what they want to get across in this practice. And I didn't think twice about it. You always make that assumption. Again, I assume they're tackling, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't know, I, I'm curious how true, like, did they literally never tackle for four years to Miles Farmer's point? Or was it just, a, you know, we tackled very little. But but the point is, it was pretty instantaneous difference-wise once Bush got in there. And once they started practicing Bush's way, let's just put it that way, the defense started playing better. I mean, it was pretty clear that the last eight games. You knew who the leader was, and and, it, and I knew changes had to happen, but I really thought, Bill Bush would get an opportunity. I mean, if if you're someone that is seeing that now, and I'm not saying the rule can't have his own guy, don't get me wrong, but I would have I would have seen what he did as as you know the defensive coordinator that just filled in and how these kids adapted, they overcame, and they they and to me it's a lot of pride. Like I got a lot more pride. And I had Jojo Doman on, um, mm-hmm. and one thing that, you know, really hit me hard is how does a player like himself have to come back every year and he's fighting for his job because it's a different defensive coordinator or something's different, a linebacker coach. All four years, he had three different defensive coordinators in four years. And those aren't the coaches that recruited him. Those aren't the coach. Like, so to see him come out the guy who he is, you're, you know that there's a lot of his own grit, but there's still a, a good process that's going on to get someone constantly redeveloped into the new, into the new verbiage, redeveloped into their scheme and how how he went from one one way to play football to be the beast that he was to get to the NFL. So like it's not like it's like I just it sucks because you say the frost and you think it's all negative, but there's some big outcomes that come out of some of these other coaches. And I just think because they were under frost, they got the bad rap below them, and, and they you know. Because I think Bill Bush would still have been a good addition, even if he was mm-hmm. back to uh, special teams. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. 
it, it's it's totally it's completely fair. I think you know I want to be the fan that I do want to you know wait till we get to games and actually start to to evaluate this team after the fact. Let's get through the first season and then look back on it, right? But you know, even the Bob Wager stuff that was that was a that was a guy that took a position that was being coached by Sean Becton that there were a lot of fans that, that liked Becton in that position. And so I've heard from some of those fans that have sat there and said, see, look at this, you know, we didn't, we shouldn't have got rid of Becton and now we've already made a change. That's a, that's a problem. All right. You know, let's, let's settle down. Let's get to the season. And, and, and let's also look at what I think what coach rule did to have, you know, someone like coach Martin already on staff too. He set himself up. He, he's given himself some backup and essentially, you know, this is smart coaching. You, you have roster management, you have coaching staff management. Um, you can't keep every coach from before. That's right. the tough part. Um, I don't know. I, I love, but I, I love Bill Bush. I thought he was, I, I wanted him to come here for back in like 2020 and 21. I was calling for him to come to Nebraska. So I was so ecstatic when he got here to be an analyst for the one season. Then he, then he was the special teams coordinator. And yeah, I mean, I, He's he's a good example. I mean, I'd love to have, have him around, but I, I'm also I'm ecstatic with what Ed Foley's doing as as uh as the coordinator. I'm ecstatic with uh I I think Tony White is just going to be phenomenal. I really do, but you know we got to go and see it. So then, if if I can ask you this, of course, what do you think they saw in Riola to make him stay? Well, I think Riola. One of the things they said right away, and and this stuck out to me, was he just wouldn't leave. And it was this, it was almost kind of a funny thing to say, but it was like a lot of times when coaching changes are going on, I mean, you know, they keep showing up in the office and and there's Rayola working as hard as anybody and, and just sticking around and talking with them. And they're like, before you know it, it's like, hey, I kind of like this guy. And this guy's saying things the same way I'm saying them. And, you know, Rayola, Frost made a big point coming into that season when he hired Rayola that he's going to run the style of blocking that I want to see run. You know, this is why I'm hiring him. This is why I'm getting rid of uh, Greg Austin is because I'm bringing in a guy that's going to run the style of, of line blocking that I want, I want run. Well, then there you are three games in the season and all of a sudden Frost is fired and Whipple's your coach or Whipple's your offensive coach. Now is the style of play that Whipple, and this goes back to some of my, my offensive line critiques from earlier. Some of the things that maybe Whipple's wanting to do offensively, maybe that doesn't jive necessarily with, with the strengths of what, uh, Rayola was brought in to do, but I think Rayola is a very hard worker. I think Rayola, um, certainly from a recruiting standpoint, I think is an asset for us. But I, I also think, I think that the players love this guy. I really do. You didn't see a mass defection of offensive linemen. There's guys that could have left. Teddy Prohaska could have transferred somewhere and he'd be playing at a top level school. You know, I'm sure Corcoran probably could have found his way going somewhere. I mean, to bring Ben Scott in, there's something that he's doing right there too. And um, I think Rayola, he was an easy guy to pick on last year as a first year coach. Uh, we were actually had, we had Dave from, from, uh, from Husk guys who started up pipeline jerky. We had him on the show the night that they announced that Rayola was staying on. And he's on a, on a text chain because he does pipeline jerky. He's on a text chain with, with offensive linemen. And yeah. so he, he he sees the the message first, and and the the linemen seemed like they were pretty happy about that. But he was like, "Wow, Riolis stayed on," and he says that you know on our live show, and it hasn't even been publicly announced. It was like thirty minutes later that the announcement came. <laughs> so we already had a few minutes to kind of think about it. But i i was I was fine with that, you know. And I I never thought it was a thing just to get his nephew because that's I never thought we were going to get his nephew this first time around, anyways. But but um. 
I just thought it was a thing that I think he's a really hardworking coach and he's going to, I think we're going to be a physical offensive line. The thing that Trev, not Trev, the thing that Scott wanted to do or said he wanted to do when he hired him 18 months ago, yeah. but we never really got to doing. I think that's what rule. That's one of the reasons rule wants to keep him. I think this is what rule wants to do. I think. And then when rule the other day said, that's the offensive line coach I've always wanted, which somebody sounds like you're kind of crapping on former offensive line coaches. You've had, but <laughs> I don't care. I'm not, I don't know who the former offensive line coaches were that he had. I just, I, I like hearing him say that right now. So we'll, we'll again, we'll see. I, I would be wildly disappointed if we, don't get under center at times. If we don't get in double tights, if we don't put a fullback out there, if we don't, as much as they've talked about it now, like this would be the biggest carpet pulled out from underneath me. If we came out five wide spread and just did that the whole season, I, I would, it would drive me nuts. <laughs> we, we all know that from the past, if we can't count ourselves on the third and ones or third and twos mm-hmm. to get those yards, that's when, that's when I think it's, uh, it's when you feel it's, an issue because you can't be safe to get that one. And I think, I think once they get that toughness on the line to where we can get that one, I think the rest kind of just slowly passes into it and you can get those two, those three, because that's what we used to know. The fourth and ones never bothered us. It was nothing you were scared of. You knew we were going to go for it and you're not going to stop us. And then that's what you got to do. And you, and you better be able to line up under center. A fullback doesn't hurt in those situations, giving the ball the eye back to run the ball. I mean, when I think back to the Illinois game two years ago to start the season and all off season, all off season, they had talked leading up to that game. And Mac and I went out to that game and Redcast Rob did too. It about broke us. That Illinois game two years ago, everything about that game, we had talked all off season about cutting down penalties and cutting down turnovers and getting under center and being, you know, and gaining that yard when you need it. And by halftime, it was like all that was just thrown away. We, we got into fourth and one and they, they emptied the backfield and Martinez runs up the middle and, and fumbles it in the last minute and Illinois runs it back for a touchdown. Um, you know, when we played Michigan two years ago, when we need one yard on the fourth down, there's Martinez running up the gut. And, and I like Martinez. I'm not knocking Martinez necessarily here. But when Rule said, I don't need the quarterback running up the middle for three yards. The quarterback, I want the quarterback to be part of our run game. And I want quarterbacks that have speed and he, and he can rattle off the, the 40 times of all his quarterbacks. He wants guys that can test the defense with their legs, but that doesn't mean the quarterback needs to be the leading rusher. No. And so when I mentioned that Northwestern game two years ago, when we beat them 56 to seven, it was great because our quarterback ran it eight times and we ran option and we optioned it to Xavier Betts and we optioned, you know, and there was the power game up the middle. And then when they would do some play action, they hit guys deep. It was very reminiscent of a modern age of what we kind of did back in the nineties offensively with more, a little more modern scheme around it. Um, That's cool. But then when we turn around the next game and and the quarterbacks, the, the main focus, and he's taking all those runs up the middle and everything. I, I just, I just felt that we, we never really had, uh, we never had that, that the scheme wasn't so much. It was just, we had no identity. You didn't, didn't have the identity. That's the word I was looking for. You, you, you didn't know who we were. Um, you didn't know who we were going to be the next week. Um, though I think for me, the hardest saying for someone to say is bets had the best practice he's ever had. And then you don't see him in that Saturday game yep. or, or whoever it was. Oh, they had great practice. 
and then you see him in for maybe 10 plays if that if you're lucky and they mm-hmm. touch the ball one time and you're like man that practice was great i don't know about you but i'm a big i'm big in getting the ball into playmakers hands that that earn it don't get me wrong but if you say that they've earned it and, and that to me and even like the hiding of the injuries i i can't say it enough like these things are going to be known. Now I get it if they're like a possibility. I do get it. But when we all know the injuries there, dude, you're not tricking nobody. The words that you say aren't making people believe something else. It doesn't take rocket science to know some of these things. And then you don't, you, I never felt that was, I think the word trust is one thing I never felt with Frost. I thought I was going to at the beginning. I just never felt like I could trust him and, be who he he needed to be and it sucks because you know he was one i looked up to yeah i i think if nothing else coach rule has been so transparent about stuff even i i mentioned this the other week even when there's been tough things i I mentioned the bob wager thing or miles farmer just kind of go you know that guy we thought was probably gonna be starting now he's in the transfer portal and yet these questions get asked to to rule and He's transparent. He doesn't BS you, and he and he tells you the situation. And when somebody's hurt, to your point, he's not trying to hide that stuff either. And and but look, he's also unapologetic about this is what we're going to do. We're going to be physical, and we're going to be physical in practice. And he said that from day one. And there's some eye rolls back in you know uh, December when it was, hey, we're going to have a fullback. Oh, okay, we're going to have a fullback. Yeah, we're going to have a fullback, and we're going to have fullback camps and all those things. Okay, we're going to get in our center. All right, we're going to get in our center. Okay, we're going to take a green jersey off the quarterback and let him get hit. Oh, yeah, whatever. We've heard, seen this before or heard it before. No. I mean, anyone that watched the spring game, anyone that's been to practices, I mean, these guys, they're they're doing what they said. And in some regards, I love the fact we've been very fortunate so far. And my fingers are crossed. I don't want injuries. You don't want injuries anyways. But we've had injuries every single offseason, whether we've gone full pads or – or just, not, or, or just or just touches. I'm tired of the the, the season ending injuries in a no padded practice. I mean, that's the <laughs> stuff that drove me nuts. Or like during the Riley era, they you know somebody they, they somebody gets hurt, so they don't they don't do any contact all week, and then they play him again in the game, and then he gets one hit and he's hurt again. And you know the word I keep I've heard this. We had Adam Carricker on the show, and he uses this word. I've heard Rule use this word. You get calloused to football when you play and anyone that's ever played football, the worst practice is the first padded practice of the season because you're not used to it. Your arms are every single hit hurts. And then somehow miraculously by about the fourth and the fifth and the sixth practice, and you're getting used to getting hit all of a sudden that same hit doesn't hurt as much anymore a week or two later, but you got to You've got to go through it. You've got to get the hits. You got to get callous to it. That's, that's what makes football so unique from any other sport. And, and it's also something that can be a differentiator today, more so than, than 20 or 30 years ago when a lot of teams were doing this. So many teams now aren't. When we lost to Iowa and got the, the tar beat out of us back in 2016 to Iowa, and, and Banker came out afterwards and said, well, they must have a bloodbath for practice. And I'm like, well, what are we doing in practice? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and but it was because we weren't. We weren't practicing the way that Iowa was, and Iowa beat us up. But there are teams that are practicing the way that we were practicing in 2016. That's a popular thing now. And yeah. Coach Rules come in and he's doing something that's not as popular. It's not a, he's come back and let's let's get under double tights and 22 personnel and let's get physical and we're gonna we're gonna take court, the quarterbacks are gonna get hit at times in practice. That's not happening everywhere and hopefully that's a differentiator for us. Well, and just think 
it's I hate to say it, but it's going to weed out the ones that don't want to be a part of that. You have to want that. You have Mm -hmm. to want to know that that is the way that you're going to make it to be better than you were last year is is the this this new drive until it's proven that it's not going to work. It hasn't been proven that it is going to work. This is the faith that you're going to put in in Coach Rule as a player, and either you want it or you don't. And and I don't, I, you know, I mean, not everybody is going to be who you think they are on the defensive side. Um, but one thing that I really liked is is uh, when I talked to AJ Rollins. Um, mm-hmm. He was up here at Papio South doing a camp and, and I was there just, I was the DJ, but then I was also kind of, you know, doing a little scouting of some of the kids. And, uh, and when I looked at AJ Rollins and I said, I'm going to be honest, seeing that smile on your face on the field is a whole different story. And like, no one, if you haven't seen these kids that do lose some interest in the team they play for because of their situations, they're not going to be verbal on the social media and all that, but you could tell by their statue, the way they hold themselves when they're out in public, you, you can just tell. Mm. I saw, I saw a different kid. Like this is not the same kid as last year. And, and because he was able to help out on offense and defense, wherever rule needed them. And I think when you get more, it goes back to the 90s. What was key with Baron Miles and Muhammad? They would do anything. Where do you yeah. want me right now? What can I do right now? Not, well, I'm kind of stuck here. Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 I mean, and though that mentality, I mean, has projected a lot of people further. I mean, I'll take, for instance, Omaha South where I coach Noah Fan. He would have yep. stuck, at, stuck it out at Burke. There's, there might have been no Noah fan in the NFL, not because he ain't, doesn't have the talent, but they pigeonhole him as defense. Gets yeah. Omaha South, gets to play offense. Where's he at now? Hmm. NFL, tight end. Yeah. But if he would have a- stayed at Burke and wanted to win a championship, that opportunity might not have been there. Mm-hmm. So just that, that, that being able to – athletes are athletes. Get them I, on the field. That That's a great segue to my final – Point that I want to make here with you, the final discussion, is from day one of the Redcast. We started this in 2017. I've always been such a proponent of in-state recruiting, in-state kids. And I was watching your your show you did with Muhammad Abdul Muhammad last week, and you brought that out right away. And you're and you're very bullish on on Omaha kids, as you should be. Omaha's a great uh, you know a great talent rich area, and I've always thought that way about the about Omaha as a metro and Nebraska as a state. Now go back to when we started this in 2017. We were still in a stretch that there was about a almost a decade gap where we didn't get kids out of the metro. I mean, we had I think it was like Niles Paul and DJ Jones, and it was about ten years until we got to like Deshaun Neal and Michael Decker, and and there was very few guys in between. But you and, said Deshaun Neal, who didn't even get the opportunity to show who he was. Yeah. Well, and I look at what's going on right now, and the graphic that I've, I've brought up a number of times, the in-state recruiting right now, and you look at the left side of this, the committed, the six guys, uh, Devon Hall and Carter Nelson, uh, Donovan Jones, Danny Kalen, Isaiah McMorris, and Ashton Murphy, five of those six guys are from the Metro. Uh, uncommitted, Caleb Benning. There's Omaha West Side. Committed elsewhere. These guys are going P5, whether they're coming here or not. Michael Birch from Creighton Prep. There's a Papillion La Vista guy. Uh, Caleb Pye from, from Central. There's Teddy Rezac from Westside. Those guys are all going to P5. There's talent in this area. And I think this coaching staff, and I'll give Frost some credit too. I think Frost 
um, got more than he lost. He did have the one rough run, one really rough off season uh, in Omaha, but, you know, Frost did a good job, I think of, of identifying in-state town too, but this coaching staff right away really has put a, an onus on it. And I'm looking at this list here. These are all P five offer guys, double digit uh, from the state of Nebraska. But in this particular off season, 10 of these guys are from the Omaha area. Well, and, and, and a lot of them could have went anywhere. SEC mm-hmm. was all over them. Um, and, and you think of uh, the commitment and the comfort level that you have to fill. I mean, even for, for, you know, Danny Dimes there, who's coming in. I mean, think of the comfort level he had to feel to go where I was going to be a Missouri Tiger. I mean, I remember sharing it. Like, you see what I share on, on Wired Access. I'm all about these local kids and getting where they find homes. And, mm-hmm. and I think the worst that I always saw is how social media, Husker fans or not or whatever, can be to some of these local kids but they don't understand the back page to them that just because they're in state doesn't mean they were talked to. Yep. Uh, And and to me, I'm just being honest, but I think a Riola hurts me more with the day and age because he was already committed to Georgia and he stepped away and then was like building up all this big talk and all this and then to go right back that to me hurts me more than a kid like what Danny Dimes did where he was committed but once he got an opportunity that was his opportunity and I'm not saying that didn't happen with Riola it just it sucked because he pulled fans along when Danny left and went to the Tigers there was no one upset with that decision they knew that he was doing the best for him and he didn't have an in-state offer Mm. you know he wasn't. He yeah. wasn't that in-state kid like that. I, I, what I give credit to Rule and staff on was that that it takes pretty good communication on their part to be able to recruit two kids at the same time that way, and and to be able to to continue to recruit Kalen and and say, look, man, it's a one A and a one B thing right now, and we we absolutely want you. We're waiting to hear on this one kid, and this is nothing new, by the way. No. Um, when, when I listened to the pipeline when they came and spoke at the Hill Varsity Club back in in uh in april the 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 94 offensive line joel wilkes was a walk-on because he was the guy he was going to get a scholarship if this one kid from california doesn't take that that offer well that one kid from california is brendan stye and and that coaching staff dan young and and osborne built that trust they had to sit there and we didn't lose joel wilkes joel wilkes wasn't a bad player he ended up coming here as a walk-on but ended up being a multi-year scholarship player and a starter for us on national championship team. But, you know, it, it recruiting isn't perfect and pretty always. So me, per, me personally, I didn't, I didn't mind. I thought Rayola did us a solid by trying to, to get involved with the recruiting. He brought some players here, gave, gave some notoriety to us. And I think legitimately he was looking at this, but he had a lot of good options. I love that the second that he picked officially made it official, they picked Georgia. I love that. It didn't take long to get Kalen here. that, there's something that this staff did right with Kalen all along that when it was, when it happened, he's like, okay, now it's my turn. I'm coming. And when then the when smoke he came, and mirrors were cleared, he was, man. he was in. Yeah. And when he came, boom. Cause I think to the point of like looking at that, that graphic here, there's probably a number of kids on this graphic that may not be here if we don't have Kalen. And so right. it can be that blessing in disguise there. Obviously Nelson, the other two receivers that are from, from uh, Bellevue West, uh, it can be, helpful that we that we got the in-state kid i just love the fact it goes back to that opportunity when we started this show i can remember 
being on social media with somebody or Nebraska doesn't have talent. We don't have talent in this state. And I'm like, are you killing me? You know, if Nebraska doesn't offer an in-state kid, then, then it became, especially at that time, it became a thing where if Nebraska is not offering them, it almost fed into that belief. And we've had coaching staffs in the past that didn't go after in-state kids the way that they should. And I'm not just blaming Riley. I mean, you can go back to Bo Pelini and, you know, why didn't we have Harrison Phillips here or what do you make, you know, and, and Noah fan, there's, there's plenty of examples where it just drives you nuts. And North Dakota state became a, you know, a, an FCS power on the backs of some kids that were right from this state. South Dakota state's doing some South of the Dakota similar stuff. I mean, yeah, we didn't want Easton stick. We didn't want Kyle Emanuel, you know, and those guys go up to North Dakota state and they get drafted later. And so we, we had to go through all that. I think what Coach Rule is doing right now, I'll, as well as any of them, the organization, the emphasis on, on in-state. I, I, I think Frost did some things okay in that sense. I remember on the day one that Frost came in and did his uh, press conference, He right away he went to uh, Bryson Williams' house that night. And Bryson Williams had been a longtime offer from Wisconsin. We weren't beating Wisconsin, and we still haven't. But – but um. And the first thing he does is, you know, before you can win the 500 mile radius, you got to win the five mile radius. And he goes down there and at least offers him. We yeah. don't get, we don't get the kid, but it was, we're going to offer him on day one. When Frost was hired, Ethan Piper had one offer and it was to Iowa. That was the only P five offer he had. And then, you know, Frost offered him. So Frost did some things to start to start to, to, to kind of trickle know, some that. of them in. Yeah. But, but there's talent here and it's not just offensive line and fullback talent. You know, for two straight seasons now, we've had a, a kid from in-state go to to the Elite 11 camp. And, you know, there's talent here. There's receivers. And I, I just love the fact that, you know, this staff, none of them even being from Nebraska, this staff appreciates it, seems to appreciate it as well as any of them. Yeah, you feel, you feel more – you didn't think you could feel more heart, but you feel a, a feel of heart. Like, I thought that's what I was feeling from Scott Frost at the beginning was it was going to be all heart and he's a, he's a champion mm-hmm. Husker and he's going to have that heart. That's that, that heart that bleeds in the Husker fans. And then you come to where we're at, but I feel the difference. You feel it amongst the kids that are joining and going on the team. Uh, you see, like I said, I went to that fullback camp, man, mm-hmm. that was a blessing. Um, I watched my son do his thing, but I also just watched, a lot of local kids. I mean, that Isaac Dickey dude, that dude was wow. That dude wowed me as I'm up on the on the top there at the championship uh, down uh, the Hawks championship place, man. And, and just seeing some of these kids get an opportunity, um, you know, and, and he kind of that Isaac Dickey honestly has almost a face that could probably get smashed and bloody and he's still going to keep going. Like that's mm-hmm. what I felt from him. I felt that that exact energy, like a Makovica, a Schlesinger, where mm-hmm. he's going to do anything he has to to make sure that block happens. Yeah, and and I love that. You know, with that pullback position, you know, in spring they didn't quite have the depth probably that they wanted yet at, but they go out and they they put Bonner in that role. And I love, oh my gosh, what Bonner can do maybe as a tight end, his different body type from the traditional tight end, but also being able to get in there at pullback at times. I think he can be. He can he can be more than serviceable there. Then they go on they bring Liebentritt from from Notre Dame in at, at fullback. You've got a guy like Clover now in there, and, and so there's some there immediately they've they've kind of stocked that room, and now you've got the incoming uh, guys for next year too. Um, you know, like I said, Dicky there, and then there's also oh geez, I can't believe I'm forgetting the kid's name, but he's from Columbus Lakeview, and um, 
anyways, yeah, and he's going to be, I think he's redshirting this year, but they're building up that position that quickly. It's not just uh, by year three, we're going to be a, a team that can get under center and have a fullback. No, we're going to be doing that right away. And and I think that's uh, that's important. I really, really like the staff. I really like Coach Rule, and I really hope for Husker Nation, but also for these guys, that they get some success fairly quick. Yeah, I and, think uh, if you feel if you feel like you can understand their identity in the first game, that's going to be the difference maker. I, yeah. I, I just hate to say it, but you're going to see if they can keep that identity, whatever they set as the start with a di- adding to it. If you can see that they, they yep. keep that and next week, the, the second week, no matter what the result is versus Minnesota, I, I really don't care. But if I see mm. consistent same production and then additions, then I know that their identity identity is set and you don't have to question who they are. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, I, I 100% agree. I, I think the only thing that would really disappoint me against Minnesota is if we just physically looked like we were just getting pushed around. That would be disappointing. And shouldn't be on the bus. We shouldn't no. have even arrived. Yeah. That yeah. Would be yeah. None of that should happen. And I also just defensively, I love what I, just listen to uh, Tony White on the, the Character Chronicles uh, that came out here tonight, and I love what Tony White's bringing here. I the only thing with the the three three five and all the the multiplicity and everything that allows you to do, just don't overthink a game like Minnesota right now. That's that would be my only. Not that they need advice again from a from a podcaster here, but but don't overthink this. I, I go back to two thousand eight, and I think of when the Pliny's were coming out in like w- week three or four against Missouri, and they created 10 different incredible defenses where blitzers were going to come from every direction and we couldn't do anything right. Like if you tackle well, if we can be physical and we tackle well against Minnesota, that's going to be pretty, you're going to be pretty good on defense just doing those things. Cause Minnesota is going to come out and get in double tights and have an unbalanced line. And there's going to be a 400 pounder out there somewhere. I mean, that's what they're going to do. So yeah. Yeah. You already know some of their offense. It, it isn't like flex going to br- bring a lot of difference. I mean, they'll have a couple wrinkles, but you know, you know it's coming. You got to be mm-hmm. able to stop. You got to be able to stop the running back. And yep. I think, I think if they can lock that down, it's it's going to be a fun game. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you have some people like uh, some of those go, going on, and uh, and some of the defensive line like uh, Hutch Hutchmaker and and mm-hmm. some of them just really starting to, I think, find their way, find their confidence in the scheme that's being asked of them because it is different. Um, you gotta, you gotta really pay attention to where you're located. And I, I tell you, when I say I watch things from a different angle, when I was at the stadium and I'm watching defense and I'm from the backside, I'm watching when I have to watch a safety, try to reposition a linebacker and the linebacker don't move. That tells me it's coaching. That's all I'm mm-hmm. going to say. Yep. Because you know who the boss is, and you and you know if he's yep. telling you, he's telling you for a reason. I think that was probably some of the most disappointing things is just um, not seeing him go all as one when it came to some of the adjustments that, that the players were trying to make live and, mm-hmm. and and not on that same page. So hopefully we get get out of that. Uh, uh, just people in the wrong place. Yeah. The, the most basic of things, line up in the right spot, you know, uh, Coach Osborne, some of the when we played Florida and, and Tommy Frazier scores right up the gut with the five wide receiver set, that that play was going to work before he even snapped it because the alignment, they just aligned him out of position. Um, there's so many misnomers back in that day of 
of, you know, you got to be a fast paced offense with sideline this and that, if you want to be able to, to run tempo and Osborne's like, we would line up, we would huddle every, every play and we'd send a guy in from the sideline and we were still getting up to the line of scrimmage with 25 seconds. And I just heard Satterfield say the same thing on BTN. And, oh. and there's just, there's a, now, now you got to prove it, but that's what I want to hear. I want to see us get up to the line of scrimmage, be ready to go. I want the defense aligned right against Minnesota. If they're going to beat us, you know, you know, make force them to have to play their best. Don't, don't, don't misalign yourself. Don't try to do too much. Don't miss, you know, be out of stay in your, stay in your game, stay, stay in your, your, stay lane. In your lane, make tackles, be physical. I think we're, I think we're, I think we'll be okay. I do. If you yeah. do those things, but we'll see. Well, here's the graphic I was playing earlier, our parting shots. And, uh, you know, this has been a lot of fun, DJ. Thank you so much for, for coming on here. Um, I always, I love doing these fan forums and, and, and I, I love the story that you have. You bring something different from uh, the, the other people that I've had on. So, you know, you get the former coach, you get the guy that grew up from, you know, outside the country, you know, watching Nebraska. I think that's a, that's a lot of fun there. Um, you know, this right now, Husker nation, I, I just think the positivity, this is the time, this is the best part of the year. We're three weeks away from the season. I mean, three weeks from now tonight, the game is going to be getting played. And I just hope that, you know, we can keep this enthusiasm that we have right now. I hope we can keep it into September, into October. That's the thing that, as a Husker fan, I feel has been taken away from us the last three, four years. I mean, we ha- we could barely get out of August without, you know, having having something crushed already. And I just I hope that, you know, we can have some of that momentum so that by the time Michigan's coming here in late September, whew, man, I hope, I hope to have a scene like we haven't seen in a long time at, at Memorial Stadium. Yeah, and – the energy just needs to be unmatched. I mean, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't come out one bit flat. And I think when we had those flat games where you start out flat, like you just have to find that consistency and get up and go. And, and either you guys want to do it or you don't. Um, it's out of our hands as fans. We just get to sit back, watch, analyze, and uh, have some fun with it, man. And, and really see these kids, like you said, some more local kids catch on and, and grow. Because that, I think, is what we've missed is is our kids don't love the Huskers. They don't they, – they like the Huskers because dad likes the Huskers. But yeah. their love has yet to, to happen. And I think when it does, you know, I mean, my kids have because they've been to a, a lot of games. And when you go mm-hmm. to live games, it is – it's different than just watching on TV. And your interactions are different. But I think once the winning and they feel that part of it, I, I think it – even changes the trajectory of who's going to be coming uh, more locally um, because there is a lot more talent here. Yeah. Yeah. Mac has <clears throat> said on the show when, uh, you know, we get done with the game, we've lost it. He's, he's all mad and his kids will come up to him and go, why are you mad, dad? And he goes, you know, we lost it. Well, we always lose dad. <laughs> oh, that tr- drives him even more nuts. You know, it's like, you know, we, we need to have some, some of the wins for those kids so that they can start to feel the ways that we did. But uh, it's parting shot time, as is tradition on the Redcast and on the fan forum. We always give our guests the final words. So, DJ K-Dub Omaha, what you got? Uh, all I got is thank you very much, uh, Big Red Podcast, you know, Big Red Cast. I appreciate you guys having me on. But mm-hmm. I said it at the beginning, I'll say it at the end. Um, when you're able to have surreal moments um, that maybe someone can catch and latch on, and go, man, I remember those days with my parents, or I remember that, like, 
that's why like I love sharing on wired access podcasts about the herd at sports production. Um, just the stories of struggles of good things, great things, and then how they overcome it. Because I think once, even as a fan, you find how to over, you know, like it, it just makes things get better because you're like, man, I'm not the only one that has had this situation. I'm not the only one that, that struggled. I mean, look at, Jojo Doe and Leo, I said it real, real great for him. Dude had both knees straight reconstructed and, and three different defensive coordinators and he's in the NFL. I mean, what mm-hmm. better story than that? Like, like, and you saw the pride. And so just being able to share those stories is, it, I appreciate you guys sharing my story um, in the Husker room. Cause I'm not a Husker podcast, but I'm willing to talk whatever people want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I think the best part though, is I like your four questions because everybody answers them. But I also like my openness where people are like, what do we need to plan for? Don't plan for nothing. We're just going to have a conversation and see where it goes and keeps rolling. And some good podcasts, some not. But uh, I appreciate mm-hmm. everybody tuning in uh, tonight and anytime uh, Wired Access podcast once again heard at sports. And uh, thanks again, uh, Honky, for this opportunity. Absolutely. You can find them at DJ K-Dub Omaha. You can fire, find the podcast at Wired Access. DJ K-Dub Omaha, thank you so much. And just remember, Redcasters, you two could be the next one to join us on the forum. Heard at Sports Network Production.